Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 9 of Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to be reading beginning in verse 14. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh, and the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Well, uh, as we've been going through this and looking at the rainbow in the Bible, we've seen that it points to the Lord Jesus Christ, that it identifies with the assurance of God regarding his intent to never judge his people again after the judgment. That's why we're reading about it in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, after the waters of judgment came over the earth, then the bow appears in the cloud. God establishes the bow as a sign to indicate to his people I destroyed the world once with a flood. I will never destroy it again with the waters of a flood. But spiritually, it points to the final judgment of God upon all the wicked people of the earth, their complete destruction, their total annihilation at the end of the world, and then God is uh, guaranteeing He is absolutely guaranteeing his people. I will have everlasting kindness upon you. I will bestow mercy upon you um, forever. Uh, Remember that verse in Psalm 103. Let's turn there. In Psalm 103, verse 17, it says... But the mercy of Jehovah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. That's the word of God. Therefore, it is sworn to. It is a promise that God has made that he will have mercy to everlasting. Everlasting kindness will be granted these uh, former rebels, these uh, these sinners, these transgressors of the law. But their transgression has been paid for. It has been settled. The matter has been taken care of in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ at the foundation of the world. And that's why 
Psalm 103.17 also speaks of God's mercy being from everlasting to everlasting because he first began to display it in the judgment of Christ as Christ bore the sins, the names of the children of Israel upon himself and he paid for their iniquities at the foundation of the world, which is really another way of saying in eternity past. And and so God began at that point to show forth his mercy upon these people who would not be even created. The world they would live in would not even be created, for we, we have no idea how long, because we don't understand eternity past. We don't understand eternity at all. And and how there can be movements of time, that's how we think. How can you have movements of time in eternity when there is no time? And since we are creatures of time, designed to understand movements within time, from hour to hour, day to day, year to year, and, and since time does not exist in eternity past, nor in eternity future, we really um, have no ability to to understand the whole idea of various occurrences taking place in an eternal past and how one can be distinguished from another as far as earlier or later. It's above us. It's beyond us. You know, who are we anyway? We're creatures of the dust. We, we've we been fashioned out of the ground. And yes, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And what God has done within the human body as well as within the entire creation is mind-boggling as far as its complexity, but still in comparison to Him, in relationship to the almighty, everlasting God, we are nothing insignificant, and we just have no ability to uh, comprehend or grasp the enormity of his being and the enormity of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that spiritual kingdom that exists in a in a different realm. We we live in this world. We we function in the physical realm. God is spirit functioning in the spiritual realm. And we only know what God tells us. And as he tells us things, we have limitations concerning our ability to understand them. He says he's eternal. We don't understand it. But God in eternity past at the point of the foundation of the world accomplished the atonement and began to have mercy upon his people that will extend into the far reaches of eternity future once this world comes to its end and we enter into that glorious future that God has promised we will receive, that he has covenanted with us uh, concerning his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promise of inheriting the land and even regarding his promise to Noah and Noah's seed. You know, it's basically the same promise. Notice it says in verse 16 of Genesis 9, 
and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. You see, it's an everlasting covenant. That's because it goes back to eternity past. Well, someone might say, no, 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 you're, you're saying things that, that aren't so. What God means is from this point, it is an everlasting covenant. Well, no, no, because why then? But notice it says he will remember the everlasting covenant. Why then, in Genesis 8, verse 1, before the uh, floodwaters have receded and the earth has dried, before Noah and his family and all the creatures stepped off the ark, and before God set the rainbow in the cloud, that, that would be many months later, God said in Genesis 8, verse 1, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. What is God remembering? He just remembered that Noah exists. Um, did he forget? Did he forget that uh, there was Noah and, and these other seven people and the animals and that they were all that was left in the world? You know, at that point, it's not like God has to remember any other living things that have the breath of life. They were all confined to one ship. And yet, we read that God remembered as though he forgot. No, it it has nothing to do with memory. God doesn't forget anything. It has to do with remembering his covenant. His covenant, his everlasting covenant. And he remembered it then. And now in Genesis 9, he's saying that he's establishing the bow in the clouds. And when he looks upon it, it is a sign to God as well as to man. It says, again in verse 16, the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. What God has done concerning the rainbow, is that he has attached the rainbow. He's attached the covenant with Noah concerning the rainbow to his everlasting covenant. That everlasting covenant that began at the foundation of the world. The covenant that he mentioned to Noah back in Genesis chapter 6 in verse 18. But with thee will I establish my covenant and thou shalt come into the ark Thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. There's the covenant already. It's the covenant that identifies with the word of God, the Bible, the gospel, that brings the message of God's salvation plan to mankind. In Genesis 9, in this early period, uh, really, still, even though it is over 6,000 years from creation, yet... It's still early on in the Bible. God attaches the covenant in this statement to Noah to a bow that appears in the clouds. But uh, but a little later on, he'll attach it to the sign of circumcision as he makes a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob different than the covenant with Noah? It's the same covenant. It is a covenant of salvation. 
as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, as Noah was delivered from the destructive flood and his seed, so will God make a covenant between Abraham and his seed regarding a promised land. And we see with Noah and his seed, they're receiving the earth, a new earth, an entire new earth that at least in its um, beginning point, there there's no rebellion against God once they're coming off the ark. There's no wicked cities. There's no wicked people out there. They're all gone. It's a wonderful, beautiful new earth. And it is really signifying the covenant made with Noah has come to fruition. Here is um, the land, the new earth, and, and I have delivered you and your seed. So that picture is then carried on at a later point in history in the days of Abraham. And a different sign is given, the sign of circumcision that will be identified with the covenant throughout the nation of Israel's history. But again, it's the same covenant. It's always the same covenant throughout the Bible. In Exodus chapter 2, it says in verse 24 concerning the Israelites that began to be oppressed within Egypt, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Just like God remembers the covenant with Noah after the 150 days. And and, and then God sets the bow on the clouds that he might remember his covenant. So, God remembers the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Exodus chapter 6, it says in verse 2, And God spake unto Moses, and said unto him, I am Jehovah. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them, and I have also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am Jehovah, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm, and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am Jehovah your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it you for a heritage. I am Jehovah. And the name of God, Jehovah, is a name that signifies Savior. It, it has to do with salvation. And, and, and so God is remembering the covenant. Or, um, it says in the New Testament, in Luke chapter one, and this is after the Lord has appeared to Zacharias and, and, uh, told him, um, about 
his wife Elizabeth, who will conceive and, and have a child, who will be uh, John the Baptist. And, and, uh, and that's an indicator that, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be born, that Christ will enter into the world to demonstrate all the things that he has already accomplished, the finished works from the foundation of the world. And it says in Luke chapter 1, in uh, verse 67, I'll start there, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered, how the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. So we we see again, with the birth of Christ, God is remembering the Holy Covenant. It, it, it's just another stage, another epoch um, in or within God's overall salvation program. And, and an early stage was with Noah, a later then that stage was with Abraham and then with Isaac, then with Jacob. And it's been handed down through centuries, through millennium, the, the promise of God's covenant. And of course, in Luke, it's, um, in the year eight or seven BC. I think John the Baptist was in the womb in eight BC. So we're reading of events that took place slightly over 2,000 years ago, and that would have been around 5,000 years from the flood. And once again, God is remembering his holy covenant. He always has that in mind as he works out the historical drama of the bringing forth of his word into the world. And, And we read again and again, God remembers his covenant. The covenant is driving history. It's driving the unfolding of God's magnificent salvation program that we read all throughout the Bible. And even after the Bible's completed, aspects of God's covenant apply to the New Testament era Throughout the church age, God has spoken regarding that, and also concerning the end of the church age and the great tribulation and judgment day. And most of all, perhaps the most important aspect or element of God's great program to fulfill his holy covenant, to fulfill the promises made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and before them to Noah, is the end of the world and the final bringing of the people of God into the eternal condition or to give them new resurrected 
spiritual bodies and to equip them with bodies that will live forever and to place them in the promised land of the new heaven and the new earth and to then from that point shower them with blessings abundantly, everlastingly to demonstrate to them the everlasting kindness of God towards them. The only way God can ultimately fulfill his covenant, and when you read the Bible, you just can't help but see how much that is God's focus, how much he dwells on that, how incredibly significant and important it is to him to be faithful in covenant. Ultimately, the only way God can fulfill that covenant is by finally ending this world and creating the new heaven and new earth and then blessing his people with everlasting blessings and as he does so into eternity future. It will be an ongoing fulfillment of his word. It will be a testimony to his faithfulness concerning upholding the covenant. And and so I'm uh, mentioning this for our benefit, for your benefit and my benefit, uh, because we're living in a time, we're living in a day that that is unlike anything that's come before it. We're not living in the time when God uh, dealt with national Israel in the Old Testament and was bringing his word. No, that's past. And we're not living in a time when God established the New Testament church and dwelt in the midst of the congregations. That's past. And we're not even living in a time of a latter rain period where God is working with individuals one-on-one and saving a great multitude across the face of the earth, out of the world's nations. That's past. We're in the day of judgment. We're in um, what the Bible calls a small moment of time uh, that, that God says within this small moment, he will forsake his people and show a little wrath. Of course, If you're under the wrath of God in actuality, there's no such thing as a little wrath. But if you are a true child of God, someone whose sins are uh, are forgiven, were paid for, and yet God, for a small moment, forsakes you for the matter of testing, and it's during the day of judgment in which he's punishing all the rest of the world, the, the unsaved, then it appears to be a little wrath. It's a little wrath that that the people of God are experiencing, yet the promise. Notice how God says that in Isaiah 54, in verses 7, 8, and 9. He, he reminds us of his promise. He reminds us of his covenant, of his full intention of bestowing everlasting kindness and mercy upon us. It's as the waters of Noah, he says. He'll never again bring them. It is a reminder. Look to my covenant and and realize that I will fulfill it. 
I will complete it. It will be done. And, and so, as it appears to us, it could. Many have been troubled in our trials in these days of great difficulty as we struggle along day after day and, and the days seem so long when God has shut the door of heaven and, and we wonder what is the purpose? How long we could almost cry out, O Lord, holy and true. And, and yet we, we have to keep in mind that the covenant is the most important thing. God will not forget it and he will not forget us because if he forgot us, he would have forgotten his covenant. But he will remember us. He will remember his covenant and he will uphold it. Remember what God says in Hebrews chapter 6 when he says in verse 13, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And and by the way, we have seen God fulfill that aspect of the covenant with Abraham concerning his seed, being as the stars of the heaven for multitude, The Bible tells us that God saved the great multitude. But it goes on in verse 15, And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, and that word immutable means it cannot change. He, he's willing to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And I remember asking Mr. Camping one time at one of the conferences, why does it say two immutable things? God has just said that he has promised, and and we see that's one, that's clearly one of the immutable things. He has spoken, he has promised, he cannot change. And I remember Mr. Camping saying, and this is true, it's correct according to the Bible, it's the only other thing it could be, But he answered and he said, the second thing is the character of God. God's um, truthfulness, uh, his goodness, his perfection, uh, his justice, uh, his uh, inability to do wrong, uh, to uh, not keep his word. It, It is his character the attributes of his being, and it is the word that he has spoken, that he has placed himself under, that he is obligated to fulfill, and he assures us. That's amazing. 
but certainly it's because of our weakness, our frailty, the frailties of the flesh. He remembers our frame, that we are but dust. And so he assures us, he swore and took an oath, just like he swore when he set the bow in the cloud. He swears that he will not forget. He will remember his covenant. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.